Welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast, which is, of course, not the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. We are, of course, now and forever sweating bullets. And soon we will have new podcast art and new all the things. And I am DFB Encounter, one of your hosts. The other host is, of course, Jacob. He is here. He is like on the road or something. I'm not really sure. He was surfing. He didn't watch any football this week, so he's flying. You know, he's probably doing it the right way now, this football analysis thing. So uh, how's it going, Jacob? Yeah, you know, I'm just spreadsheeting it up this week. Uh, yeah, so my parents came out to, to visit me out here in the land of BC. So I took off Friday morning, met them in Tofino. We were out there all weekend. So we were out hanging out with the whales. Uh, we weren't touching grass. We were touching ocean. Um, you know, we we're hanging in the rainforest, etc. So I didn't watch much football. I watched the last five minutes of the early slate, which was enough to see my Colts uh, – continue to pick 18th every year in the nfl draft so that was that was awesome and i hate myself because like i just couldn't help get absolutely fired up watching maddie ice just leading that comeback drive <laughs> uh, just being like the total just, worst the worst laundry rooter out there on the planet just, just rooting, such rooting a homer team homering it up yeah that was awesome uh then i watched the very end of the uh the late window and then, unfortunately, the only game that I was able to watch almost in full while playing some cards with my parents was the absolute disgrace that was Sunday Night Football. I, I got to watch a lot of that. I wish that I didn't. <laughs> um, all it made me, like, I was really sad when Trey Lance got injured last week, obviously. I mean, anyone who's familiar with me knows, like, he's been one of my favorite players dating all the way back to NDSU. Um, North Dakota State's, like, three-hour drive south of Winnipeg, so I always follow that team, and uh, this big Wentz fan back in college, huge Lance fan. I was so excited. So I was hurt by that already, you know, then hurt financially, of course. And then like, what I was really hurt was just having to watch Jimmy Garoppolo play again. Like I, I just couldn't fathom that like that we're doing this again. Like he, I had to watch him run out of his own end zone to prevent himself from throwing a pick six. And it's just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> doing yeah, that. it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. It was a rough week. I was actually like, I usually don't really tilt cause I don't, really care all that much like i'm i'm very much uh big picture and what happens in a singular week doesn't really matter to me but man i was tilting this week and i was like checking my scores i'm like why why aren't my players scoring points and then i like checked the other team scores and i was like oh my teams are actually doing really well nobody's scoring points and then i was i was complaining about on the patreon and somebody posted a tweet and apparently scoring across the nfl is down like three points per team so like six points per game over the last when it was last year, the last few years. But is there any reason for that? Like, or was there something happening this year that is causing this? Is it like Dak Prescott injury and Trey Lance injury and Justin Fields is terrible and Baker Mayfield's playing awful? And like, is it just like we are being bombarded with terrible quarterback play? Is there something something more sinister in the air? Did they have a rule change? Like, what is happening? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't fully understand. Uh, I had the same reaction. Like I was totally out of service until about the end of the third quarter of the early games. And I remember like checking through and I, I could, I was just checking scores before I could even check my team. So I was like, oh, nobody's doing well in that game. 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 And I was like, who's doing well? And I was like, oh, the Eagles, but nobody else. <laughs> That's the only team. The Eagles are playing phenomenal and they're the only ones. It doesn't make yeah. sense. 
literally. Um, I like went to go check DFS and I was just like looked at it. I was like, oh, all the Eagle stacks are winning money and no, nobody else is winning any money. Um, yeah, outside of that, I don't know. It's a hard one. I think like last year, like the cover two shell became the cliche, right? Everybody blamed the cover two, um, which is like maybe true. I don't know. I feel like I don't know enough about defensive football to like say the answer, right? Like I think if you were to, able to get like people who are experts in defense, maybe they could offer a better explanation as to what defenses are doing. My like absolute middle IQ brain theory is that all the best wide receivers left the great quarterbacks to go play with mediocre quarterbacks. Um, and so now every offense either has a mediocre quarterback or mediocre wide receivers uh, because like, instead of having Patrick Mahomes throwing a Tyree kill, it's too, uh, although that offense has honestly been sick. And then like, instead of Aaron Rod, like the Devonte Adams one, I think ruined like the Packers offense for sure. Everything. But then the Raiders offense still sucks. So it's like, what, you know, what did we get out of this? Right. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point actually because we went from having Devontae Adams being like the king of the world and Hunter Renfro being quite serviceable like I think he was like wide receiver 15 in points per game last year to Devontae Adams being like pretty ordinary like like pretty ordinary for a good player and Hunter Renfro being like disappeared and I was I, I was thinking actually right before you said all the wide receivers got moved around I was like yeah like even the Bucks and the and the Packers, like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, were basically not getting any yards. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it was because, you know, Chris Godwin was suspended. And Evans suspended. Gronk's retired. And like, it's just the list goes on and on and on. And maybe, maybe that's what's going on is like all the good players just got intermixed with all the bad players. And then a bunch of guys are hurt and retired. And, and it's just terrible. It's awful. I think like, a lot it, of quarterbacks are getting old in a hurry too. Like Rodgers, I mean, Matt I don't Ryan. know if I blame Rodgers because like his wide receivers are so bad. Um, but yeah, like Matt Ryan looks pretty washed. I don't know if Brady's washed, but like, I think, I think that he, he clearly like needs elite weapons to be an elite quarterback at this point. We kind of saw that at the end in new England and he doesn't have oh, yeah. weapons. He doesn't even have serviceable weapons. He was throwing a total jabronis uh yes uh the other day i, I mean, think Russ, is Russ to russell gage like is russell wilson like just done now because that's that's the weird one to me like i was trying to watch that game trying to see like is russ cooked and physically he still looks great like guy throws a pretty ball you know he still has athleticism when he chooses to use it it just seems like it takes him a while to process things like i don't know if that's i don't know if that's just him getting used to the system or if nathaniel hack is just as big of an idiot as i think he is but um yeah <laughs> that's I mean, in play for sure <laughs> yeah i mean he gave mike boone 19 percent of the snaps last night mike boone he's got javante williams and melvin gordon in, and then he's like oh we got to make some space for mike boone in here like come on in mike you get a shot too everybody gets the play it's kindergarten the coach worship on twitter is hilarious to me because like i posted as like why does mike boone need a role here and someone replied like pass protection and i was like Okay, like maybe that's true. Like it does seem like he's playing pass pro snaps, but like I've never watched any film of Mike Boone pass protecting. I guarantee you that neither is the commenter. You know why? Because he's been in the NFL for fucking five years and he's never once had a pass protection role. Like he's never played long down his he never played at all. The only time that he ever played that was relevant was he was supposed to play starting for Delvin Cook because him and Madison were both hurt in the fantasy championships like two years ago or three years ago. And then they fell behind early and then Amir Abdullah played on all the long down and distance. So he played the entire second half in trail script because I guess he was better at pass protecting than Mike Boone. So 
That's all I know about Mike Boone's pass protecting. But now he's clearly, he's so essential to their pass protection that they have to play him over both Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. It's incredibly tilting. It's unexplainable. And Nathaniel Hackett's friendship or whatever it was with Aaron Rodgers is the got to be the only reason that he got a job. Yeah, it's the only thing that makes sense. I, I I saw a thing actually that they were like speculating that Nathaniel Hackett was hired in a hope to lure Aaron Rodgers to the pack or to the Broncos. Yeah, and I was like, the, now seeing what he's done for three weeks, I'm like, that's the only explanation. There's there's no other reason you would hire this guy because everything watch? they're doing is awful. I love how we said that we were going to try and be tight this week, but I'm already going completely off the rails. But <laughs> did, did you watch this series? This is not this most recent game. This was their week two game. Did you watch the series that turned a third and one into like one of the greatest calamities I've ever seen? No, I did not. So it was just the Nathaniel Hackett experience, really his essence personified was this series. It was third and one. Instead of handing it off to Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon or letting Russ throw the ball, they did a tight end reverse to Andrew Beck, who lost a yard um, because you handed off way in the backfield on a lateral reverse to a tight end, which is ridiculous. Also, they have a tight end who runs a 4-4-9, but they didn't use him. They had to use Andrew Beck. Anyway, uh, so then they come out fourth and two. He can't make up his mind whether to go forward or kick. He eventually makes up his mind incorrectly to kick. Um, but they get the field goal team on so late that they take a delay of game, so they can't kick the 54-yard field goal. Now it gets backed up to the 59. And then a week after he tried the 64-yarder at sea level, he then decides to defer a 59-yard field goal in mile high in order to just punt. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love it. Uh, Yeah, like... Yeah, I don't know. The Broncos are really weird. Like, I, I'm I'm really happy Cortland Sutton is is uh, working out. Like, if I had to pick between Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, it was obviously I was going to take the alpha and not the beta. But uh, it's just not working out. I saw a thing. I think it may have been last week, and it was um, total yards per touchdown. In which case, the Denver Broncos rated, I believe, dead last. Like they've yeah. they've they're just not scoring touchdowns, but they're getting lots yeah. of yards. So I think like I'd be buying into the offense and probably Ross to some degree because they I are moving, they are moving down the field. They're just not actually cashing in, and touchdowns are wildly very like wildly unpredictable. So I just buy in and hope that eventually they start converting. Like Cortland Sutton can catch touchdowns; he's just done it before. Russell Wilson can throw touchdown passes to virtually everyone. Like there, he. I remember there's that. Uh, what the hell was his name? It was like D Moore. Uh, he was like a third wide receiver, David Moore, David Moore, David Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People would like try to sneak him into trades because he scored a touchdown <laughs> once in a while. You think that's maybe DJ Moore? Yeah, no. and uh, anyway, so like, like Russell Wilson's fine, he's gonna be fine. And I would buy him if uh, if somebody wanted to trade him to me, and yeah. I don't really I'm have just, a. I'm just gonna pretend that we had Russell Wilson on the show sheet. That way, that way, it looks like we didn't actually go off track. How about that? Yeah, no, I think it's it's fluid. The show sheet is fluid, and if Nathaniel Hackett's friendship with Aaron Rodgers leads us to is Russell Wilson cooked or not, is very viable conversation. <laughs> well, let's stay in the AFC West because let's get back on the show sheet. Um, okay, fine. You know, people have said that the sky might be falling in Denver for the Broncos. There's another sky falling, and that's Sky Moore. Actually, basically every wide receiver named Moore, I think, is falling down dynasty ranks right now, unfortunately. But we're specifically going to talk about Sky Moore. Uh, Sky Moore basically not really playing. He played seven snaps in week one. 
in which he did make a very nice catch uh, for 30 yards. Uh, for the played, record, he hold on a second. He had like a 90-plus PFF receiving grade based on that one catch, so it was a glorious catch. It was a great play. Then he played two snaps in week two, which were the kneel downs. So he basically played zero snaps in week two. For him. Um, and then in week three, they had teased this bigger role. And then, you know, he did what I wouldn't advise doing if you have been teased a bigger role, which is that he muffed the first punt that the Chiefs received. <laughs> so before the Chiefs offense ever touched the field, they had already given up a free touchdown because Sky Moore muffed the punt at his own four-yard line. Um, Jalen Rieger asked, this is terrifying. So, Stop it. So that's not what you really want to see. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. Everybody else gets so excited when their players are going to play special teams. And all I think when a, a rookie that I'm touting is going to play special teams, like, oh, that's a lot of opportunities for, for mistakes that'll get yeah. coaches mad at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so he ends up playing a little bit. He plays eight snaps. He runs four routes. Uh, he does not earn a target on any of those. Um, where are we at on Sky Moore? Because obviously, you know, we were taking, I think pretty much everybody was taking London, Wilson, Burks over him. But we both had Sky Moore ranked above Chris Olave. Not, not looking great when Sky Moore posts a bagel without even any cream cheese, unless you count a fumble as cream cheese, the same week that Chris Olave looks like the alpha of the new orleans saints where are we feeling about sky more well i think what we need to focus in on here is that efficiency is all that matters and <laughs> chris Olave has not in any game in his entire nfl career zero games with a 90 plus receiving grade That's and true. therefore i'm thinking that sky Moore has a higher ceiling like chris Olave only had an 87.6 receiving grade per pff in week three so he is not on Skymore's level. That's true. Skymore also 2.73 <laughs> yards per route run as well. Dude's a stud. <laughs> Chris Olave can't touch that. All those uh prayer yards he was getting, they're they're not good for yards per route run. But like honestly, like uh yeah, Skymore, we we just had a huge conversation about this in the Discord literally this morning because oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. Like traveling. That's because you're surfing or whatever. And yeah, like I'm like kind of terrified because it's I just can't really think of very many players that have ever not played and then been good. And so Coop actually pulled this great list for us, which he said he's not going to announce until Thursday. So Matt, if you could make sure that this doesn't hit the air until Thursday, except maybe just edit this part out until Thursday or something. That'd be great. I'm totally kidding. We're going to burst uh, Cooper's bubble here. Let me find the list one moment, please. He has a list of the players, the least snaps played with top draft capital in the last, I don't know, five, six years. It looks like 2018, 17. So we have Dwayne Eskridge, Sky Moore, Amari Rogers, Devin Duvernay, Chad Williams, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, Josh Doxson, Josh Palmer, Nico Collins, Taewon Taylor, and DJ Chark. And of these players, they're all terrible. They were all bad prospects in my process, except for, of course, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, and DJ Chark. All three of those guys were coin flipper better. And they were all fine. Sky Moore was bulletproof. Everyone else on this list was either a bust or I think there was one guy that was a long shot, maybe uh, Taewon Taylor. I think he was a long shot. Everyone else on the list was a bust. And then they didn't do anything in their first few weeks and never did anything in their entire life. So like, what did we really expect? The guys that we did expect to turn it around at some point were DJ Moore and Chris Godwin and DJ Chark. And they all turn around to some degree. So you had, there's I'm, no, you had TJ Chark as something that wasn't a bust coming out of college. 
Yeah, I think he was a coin flip. Okay, Though I could okay. be wrong. He might have been a long shot too. I'll have, I should I should have I should have checked before we started recording. I was quite certain he was a coin flip though cuz he was quite a young prospect I think and okay. he did have like he didn't have a lot of counting stats but LSU didn't pass a lot of footballs That's back true. in those That's days. True. And I used market share of receiving yards and yards per team pass attempts. So with not a lot of passing attempts and not a lot of yards, a very small amount of receiving yards can can uh, boost your stock pretty quickly. So like Sky Moore is I don't know. I think I'm just holding. Like I, I'm not sure that I'm confident enough to go and buy him after him doing literally nothing. Other than that one extremely nice catch in week one where he got the 90 PFF grade. Other than that, he really hasn't done anything other than muffle punt. And that's a little bit concerning. More concerning, or maybe not more concerning, but also concerning to me was that it was his squeaky wheel game. Like the coaches are out in the media being like, we are going to get this guy involved. He is going to get involved. We're putting him in the game. And then they didn't do that. And maybe it was the muff punt. And they're like, yeah, you know what? He, the lights are too bright. The kids got to sit a little longer. Who knows? The moral of the story is, I don't know what the hell to do with Sky Moore. I'm just sitting on him for a little bit longer. I mean, I think it was a couple things, right? The muff punt like hurts in two ways. Like number one, like it just doesn't endear you to coaches when you muff a punt at your own four yard line. Number two, it means that your offense is down seven, nothing before it ever touches the ball. Right. Which like kind of, puts your coaches in a different mindset where it's not as much like maybe in the week you're like, Oh, like let's have some fun. Let's use some new players. Whereas like when you're, when Patrick Mahomes is yet to touch the football and you're already down a touchdown, it's more like, all right, let's like, let's fucking go to work here. Um, and I think that, you know, they, I don't think they led and they didn't lead in this game until I think in the, maybe in the late third quarter when they went up 17 to 13, um, but they were trailing basically, you know, right up at that point. And they were trailing because Sky Moore muffed a point, putted his own four-yard line. So it's like, if you, if that sort of takes you out of the fun and happiness stage of your life, um, <laughs> like, if you're going to make room for any fun, you might not be to reward the player who's the reason why you're down 7 nothing, like the sole reason why you're down 7 nothing. Um I'm not that worried about Sky. I mean, first of all, I couldn't care less about the muff punt. Like, it real like, over the long term, him potentially making a mistake as a punt returner, like basically means nothing about whether or not he's a good wide receiver. Uh, I think that ultimately we have to try and view these players in context, right? It's one thing to view now in a three week sample, like sky versus Alave. I'd be like, Oh, like Alave was a way better pick. And like, at this point I, I, I would rather have Alave because he's earning targets a really high clip. So that that's totally fair. But I also think like if we were just basing off of who would look better through three weeks, sky or X, like I probably would have ranked Jahan Dotson ahead of Sky Moore because Jahan Dotson was walking into a starting role. He was a round one pick. I would have probably guessed if he had put a gun to my head and said, who will score more points and have a better looking profile through the first three weeks of the rookie season? Jahan Dotson, round one pick, who's like locked into a starting role because he's competing with Diami Brown and Cam Sims. Or Sky Moore, who is on the Chiefs behind Hardman, who's like not like a good player, but he's like a useful NFL player. And then two guys that they went out and signed with reasonable contracts in Marcus Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster. I'd be like, yeah, probably Dawson's going to have like more stats the first month of the year. But obviously I was drafting Sky more first because one, I like the profile better. Early declare, round two pick, bulletproof prospect. And two, if Sky hits, he's on the Chiefs, right? Not, nothing has changed in that regard. So I'm pretty relaxed on the sky more thing like obviously you'd rather it be better than it is right now but i think all things considered 
They went out and they paid two guys. They were both guys were always going to start the year, right? Like they're, we can say whatever we want about the signings, but they went out and spent money on Juju, who's a pretty good player. MVS, who's not, but the, the NFL thinks that he's a useful player in an NFL sense, at least. They were going to let those two guys play. Hardman has utility to an NFL team. And so Sky is going to start as the four at best. And, and I think Justin Watson is more of a field stretcher. Sky is a little bit more of a replacement for like the Juju, Hardman underneath type stuff. So I, I think that from an NFL team perspective, they're probably looking at him as more of a starter in 2023. And then for now, it's just a matter of like life finds a way aspect, right? It's a prospect we have reason to think is pretty good. If every possible thing stays stable, a lot of players that we think are good don't necessarily take off as quickly as we hope they will. We try to bet on profiles that can benefit from random events benefiting them, right? What are the odds that Juju and MVS and Hardman like all stay healthy for all 17 games? Probably not super high. Probably one of them is going to get injured and then Sky's going to play more. And if one of them doesn't, maybe Sky just plays more anyways. And then as long as he plays a little bit more, if he can just make <clears> some <throat> splash, then he's going to earn himself a role. If he plays more and he doesn't make any splashes. If those guys get hurt and he still can't get snaps or he can't do anything, then they'll start to panic. It's totally possible that he's bad, but to be totally honest, like I don't think that not playing that much through three games as a late second rookie behind actual NFL players on a team that's trying to win the Super Bowl is like all that damning about his entire career. It would be more damning to me if he was an every week starter out of the gate and he just wasn't doing anything on the snaps, but like him not playing is, is honestly it's not ideal, but it's not a massive concern. So I'm a lot more likely to be buying Sky than, than selling Sky. Yeah, I think that's a good good kind of point or something we, we touched on quite a bit in the Discord earlier today was, uh, you know, the fact that Marcus Valdez-Scanley and Michael Hardman aren't very good football players is like kind of secondary to the, the whole situation because they're also not like replacement as in like, xfl players like they are actual nfl players that that have had full-time roles in the past like these aren't players that do not belong in the nfl that he's competing against these are guys that are not great by any stretch <laughs> they're like they're, they're, they're never going to be fantasy stars but they're nfl players at the very least they play snaps they're on the field they're that good but they're not like good good so like sky Moore should eventually if he is good will pass them but it's not necessarily going to happen right away because they are respectable NFL players. And I think that kind of gets caught up when we're talking about like vacated targets and like players own their target share. It's like, yeah, okay. But like within context, like if, if Sky Moore was on the Chicago bears right now and he wasn't playing, I would be very, very concerned, (laughs) but he's not like he's playing with guys that have had full-time roles for years in good offenses. Like Juju's coming from Pittsburgh. He was, playing in a good offense and was a full-time starter. Uh, Marcus Valdez-Scanling, again, not a good fantasy producer, but a full-time player in Green Bay in a good offense. So these are not nothing players. They're just not good enough to hold them back if he's good. And it's important to remember too, like the Chiefs probably, like think about it, put yourself in the mindset of the Chiefs, right? Juju's on a one-year deal. Maybe they'll resign him. I don't know, but he's on a one-year deal. MVS on a three-year deal, but if you look at the language, it's basically a one-year deal and then it's up to the Chiefs to decide what they want to do um hardman last year of his rookie deal so basically the chiefs like are probably not keeping all three 
you know, I don't know who they're going to keep. Maybe they re-sign Juju. Maybe they keep MVS for one more year. Maybe they re-sign Harbin. They probably don't re-sign Harbin. But, you know, they, they have optionality at the wide receiver position. They were going to draft somebody and probably not with 2022 in mind immediately, right? That doesn't mean that plans mm-hmm. don't change. But they weren't looking at Sky necessarily as like, this is a, a major contributor. It's like, we have literally no wide receivers under contract for 2023. Let's get a guy for the future. In the meantime, we have guys now. And if they don't work out, then we have another rookie too. Here's something that's beneficial for Sky. Like the other guys aren't doing much. MVS mm-hmm. has been really bad through three games. Like he hasn't done anything impressive. Har- Hardman had kind of, I thought, an okay game in week two. Didn't do much in week one. Didn't do anything in week three. Juju... I uh, had one really nice play in week three at a great week one total dot in week two. So it's like, it's not like they're getting a ton out of their wide receiver. I think it'd be a different situation if they had this threesome wide receiver and they were just crushing every single week. Like then how are they going to get on the field? But if I was the chiefs, you know, they essentially only won in week two because Herbert threw that interception to a way too tired Gerald Everett on the one yard line. They then lost to the Colts in week three. And a big reason why they're not doing as well as they thought they would is they're not getting any production of their wide receivers. So they're probably going to give Sky a chance here at some point in time. Um, I, I would I would hold the line. I think like even if you've made up your mind that you're just like out on Sky and you want to sell, I just I don't know. I find it hard to believe that he's not at some point going to get more snaps. And then if he gets more snaps, even if he's bad. Just by virtue of playing with Patrick Mahomes, he's probably going to have one good game. I mean, like just from like a variance perspective, right? And so then sell then. Like I just don't think you, that selling now is getting you, is accomplishing you anything. Well, that's that's exactly it. We're we're going to have an opportunity to sell Sky more. That's better than it is today because there's going to be a game where he scores a touchdown and does something really cool. And that's going to be wonderful, but, and, and he might even be good. And then we can just hold at that point, but there's also going to be a time, like you mentioned with all these contracts, we're going to have vacated targets all over the place. And the masses love them vacated targets. Alan Lazard was a very high pick this year in redraft leagues because of vacated targets. So you mean to tell me that Marcus Valdez Antling and Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Hardman leave this year and we're not going to be throwing a party about the vacated targets. I mean, we're not going to, but other people are going to be throwing a party about the vacated targets available for Sky Moore. And we're just going to be able to cash out at that point if we no longer believe. And also, Michael Harbin didn't do anything for years and still held quality value for, I believe, two or three years into his NFL career. He had scored basically no fantasy points and just held his value because of his proximity to Patrick Mahomes. In 2019, Michael Hartman scored 7.1 fantasy points. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Sky Moore to score 7.1 fantasy points in his rookie year. Then Michael Hartman scored 8, and then 8.3, and now he's at 9.1. And he has held really tradable value for three years and now it's gone because they like signed all these other guys and it, the funny part about that by the way this is a little bit of a tangent but i remember fading me Harman so hard as soon as there's like that tyree kill news where he was maybe getting suspended maybe right. not getting suspended who knows Michael Harman like shot up the first round of dynasty rookie drafts he's the tyree kill replacement i was like he's probably just not the tyree kill replacement because probably nobody is the tyree kill replacement and then he was going to be the Tyree Kill replacement from that point, from draft day onward. That was always what the narrative was. He's the Tyree Kill replacement. <laughs> and then Tyree Kill leaves, and 
nobody wants to buy Michael Harvin anymore. And it's like, well, you were waiting for this. This you knew he wasn't gonna produce because he's behind me, Tyreek Hill, and now he is freed of these shackles. And you have no interest in this man. What is happening? So, anyways, like Sky Moore, we're gonna get chances to sell him if we don't like him. And he still might be good. It's only been three games. And the players that we did see that were able to overcome low, low snaps in their first couple of games were good prospects. And the ones that weren't able to overcome low snaps were bad prospects. And what's interesting about that is I bet if you pulled the highest snap total players, we would see a very similar trend of the good players with high snaps went on to be good. And the bad players with high snaps went on to be bad. So I just stick stick to the stick to the process for now. We'll let you know in a few weeks things change we'll let you know when things change that's maybe the way to put it oh i like that here's uh i'm gonna skip a little ahead here on the old show sheet because we're already at 30 minutes and we're through like one originally scheduled topic (laughs) um here's here's two other players that got off to a very slow start in their careers well one actually got off to a really fast start but then it really slowed down but now it's heating up again and the other one got off to pretty much the worst rookie season anyone could have imagined trevor lawrence and christian kirk are together in Jacksonville. They're making Let's beautiful, go. beautiful music. Um, two-parter here. No, number one, like, is Trevor Lawrence back to where he was as a rookie, where he's like a back end of the first round level dynasty asset, where he's the prince that was promised, Azora High, Andrew Luck reborn, Peyton Manning 2.0, etc., etc., etc. Any other superlatives? And then is Christian Kirk? You know, if, if Trevor Lawrence is Peyton Manning, is Christian Kirk Barbin Harrison? You know, is this, should we be buying high on Christian Kirk? Should we be selling out our first round picks, our firstborn sons, our firstborn daughters, <laughs> anything else to go get Christian Kirk back onto our teams? So uh, I th- I'll address the first question first, which was the Trevor Lawrence question. And is he the prince that was promised? And I think, like, I don't know that he's quite back to where he was as a rookie, but I think it's damn close. And I wouldn't fault anyone for for falling back in love very quickly. Um, what's interesting about rookie quarterbacks is that they don't really do very well. And we've seen this time and time again. But what is pretty sticky, even if the player doesn't play well as a rookie, they still do well if they're a good prospect. And Trevor Lawrence was a very, very, very good prospect. The two worst bulletproof quarterbacks in the history of rookie seasons in my process, dating back to 2003, are none other than Matt Stafford and Jared Goff. They are they were horrendous from like a PFF grade perspective, from all of their metrics. They were awful, and they both rebounded. And yeah, okay, Jared Goff isn't the best quarterback in the world. I get it. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but he was a serviceable serviceable quarterback. He still is a serviceable quarterback. He's completely. Like, I don't know if you remember, you, you, you've you been around football for a long time. Andy Dalton, like Andy Dalton was just like a yeah. career, like middle of the road quarterback yeah. forever. I believe that's what Jared Goff is. Like he's, yeah. he's this generation's Andy Dalton. He's just fine. There's nothing exciting about him. There's nothing really that terrible about him. He's just a guy that's going to play for probably a few years and, and, you know, do some things. And if he has an AJ green and a, uh who else did they have there the marvin jones marvin jones new like if he's got the supporting cast he'll be fine and if he doesn't have the supporting cast he's gonna be really really bad which is what andy dalton was when he did not have like when aj green was out that everything fell apart for andy dalton 
So like like Trevor Lawrence, I think uh yeah, he may not be the best quarterback. It's Christian like, Kirk, the AJ Green. Then. So Christian Kirk is obviously the AJ Green, is where I'm going with this. He is the Calvin Johnson to Matthew Stafford. He is exactly what we've been talking about for years. So I do this process. I don't know. New listeners may not be aware of this. I have a process. And on the process, it's effectively what I'm doing, I, I do the rookie grades, right? Which tells us kind of like what to expect from these players before they hit the NFL. And then after they play a year in the NFL, we have a really, really, really good idea of how good these players are. Uh, using my sophomore, pro- sophomore comps process for wide receivers, I take their rookie profile and i combine it with a number of different metrics that seem to matter for rookies things like pff receiving grade and you know uh i i use adp trends so like if a guy face plants if if the masses are out he's probably not good like the masses are eternally optimist eternal optimists so if they're out it's probably over like the people that are like clamoring to get these young rookies or these young sophomores under their team are not clamoring to get your favorite player it's probably over so that's one of the one of the inputs and then points per game is obviously another input because we need some production in there so we, we kind of meld this all together and what happens is christian kirk gets like the absolute best comps in the game and what's hilarious is every other player that has really good comps there's always like that one guy that just ruins the comp from being like virtually perfect and it's christian kirk every single one of them it's like oh you know i, I don't really remember who else who was who was all on his but uh again i should have pulled it up before the show but it's, it's like 15 players long and they're all good players all of them all have had top 24 seasons except for muhammad sanu he's the only one he's the outlier of the outliers and christian kirk is now the second one and now after years we had been saying for like two years now Christian Kirk is going to be Robert Woods. Robert Woods played in Buffalo. He did virtually nothing. And then he changed teams and they unlocked him because he was he was a decent player. Christian Kirk did virtually nothing in Arizona. And now he's moved teams and they've unlocked him. And he's playing really well. So I think Christian Kirk is probably going to continue producing fantasy points. The problem I'm having with Christian Kirk is that y'all are getting crazy. Like he is moving up to first round mid first round 2023 pick value on keep trade cut and i gotta wow. tell you if i got a chance at a bulletproof which is probably gonna be a couple running backs in this class this upcoming class i'm taking the running back over christian kirk because well, christian kirk is probably sure. not going to be a wide receiver one i don't care like i probably am the resident highest person in the game on christian kirk and he is absolutely not going to be a wide receiver one in fantasy football he's probably going to be a wide receiver two and he might even be a wide receiver two for another year or two, but he's almost definitely not going to be a wide receiver one. And if you have a chance to get a really, really good running back, you just have to do it. So if you're in your league and you can somehow trick someone into setting you a mid 2023 <laughs> first for Christian Kirk, you simply have to do it. Even though he's going to probably score 14, 15 points per game this year. What do yeah, you think? I, I agree. I mean, I like Kirk. But he's uh, ultimately, I think he's. It's more likely than not that he's just a re- that he's a replaceable asset. And the problem is, is he doesn't have enough time left in the rental window. Like I'm, I'm pretty open to buying wide receivers who we think are good, but we're not quite sure that they can be great when they're young, for two reasons. Number one, um, maybe we're wrong and they have a higher ceiling than we think. You know, number two, a lot of the reasons why we don't think they have a higher ceiling is often because of situational concerns. And when you're 22, 23 years old, situational concerns have a way of sometimes 
not being concerns anymore or the situation changes. Uh, Kirk is now, I believe, 25. I think he'll be 26 after this season. So going into next season, basically has one year left in the rental window, which is what I call the area of a wide receiver's career where you can basically hold them, score a bunch of points, and then sell them for the same amount after you score all those points um, such that they essentially retain their value, right? Um, Obviously, that does not happen in every case. You know, wide receivers can get hurt. They can score less, et cetera, et cetera. But at least it's possible that if a wide receiver just keeps their pace, you can basically just have all the points and then sell them and you don't lose anything. You just get the points. Once you get into 26, 27, 28, you know, then you're in sort of the transitional window where a wide receiver almost has to keep scoring more and more and more and more each year just to hold their value because people start bringing in that age decline. They become less flexible to move to other teams. And so ultimately, I only want to hold that age of wide receiver, like 26 to 28, if I think that they can give me like elite irreplaceable type production and then i'll start buying back the wide receivers again around 29 once they're like so old that nobody wants them anymore and you know (laughs) i can just like buy them for the points essentially right but i'll be damned if i'm going to hold a 50-year breakout wide receiver at the opportunity cost of a first round pick who's going to be 26 starting next season that just seems catastrophically insane um it's just a low upside bet from a value perspective it's a low upside bet from a production perspective it's just like it can pay off, sure, but you're you're on the you're, you're getting the worst of both tails, right? You're getting the lowest ceiling outcome, you're and you're having to bet on low end outcomes from the pick. So if you have Kirk, yeah. if you have Kirk and you can get a 23 first or a 24 first, I would sell. And if you, what I would really want to do is like, what do I have to add to Kirk to get like a true elite, right? Let's see. Who knows? Maybe not that much. Like, I feel like you could take Christian Kirk and go and buy like a Deontay Johnson or something like that at this point. And I think that's like kind of reasonable. And that's shouldn't that be that reasonable. Kind of the same. I mean, it's better. I'd rather have Deontay, but like, what are we really accomplishing? I'm, I'm saying like, let's, uh, go, let's take Christian Kirk. We're getting like a 30% target share. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's huge. Is that going to score a lot of points? I don't know. I like the. Well, I don't know. That that brings me to my next question: Is that going to score a lot of points? Obviously not with Mitchell Trubisky. But how much longer is Mitchell Trubisky going to play football? Uh, I I think that this week probably is a make or break type week because they play the Jets this week. So if he wins, obviously it's his job. After that, uh, man, I don't know. I'm going to pull up their schedule right now because I want to say it's like Bucks. Dolphins, Bills, I think are all involved in that upcoming schedule. Uh, let's let's kill this dead air. Yeah, here we go. So after the Jets this week, it's Bills, then Bucks, then Dolphins, then Eagles. So I'm not sure there's four teams in football I want to play less than the Bills, Dolphins, Bucks, and the Eagles. So <laughs> if it's not soon, it it's soon. Like the the Mitch Trubisky era is coming to a halt sooner than later. It's a matter of when, not if. Uh, if you have Trubisky, pray to God that he's able to light up this shitty Jets team, get 20 fantasy points this week, and then maybe you can get out of him for a third-round pick uh, because he's going to get destroyed by the rest of these players. Pickett's going to come in. I don't think Pickett's very good. I thought he was a really poor prospect. He went in the late one, late first-round quarterbacks, especially late first-round quarterbacks who don't have good prospect profiles are usually like really bad bets. Um, and so I think that it's more likely than not that Pickett is mediocre at best and 
not starting quality at worst. That being said, I'll certainly take the specter of the unknown above Mitch Trubisky. If you're a Deontay Johnson owner or Pickens or Claypool or Firemuth or any of the above, um, certainly give me the unknown of Pickett over the known uh, awfulness of Mitchell. <laughs> I think that's pretty fair. I, I think, um, yeah, Pickett, I'm not overly excited for, which is like, what are we buying Deontay Johnson for? And it's like, well, what if? Like, we don't know. Josh Allen became good. Who knows? Jalen Hurts is good. Who who knows? I mean, Jalen Hurts' be college profile was like substantially better than Kenny Pickett's. I yeah, it was it was a considerable difference in prospect profile aside from draft capital. Like, I, I I'm still a little baffled that Hurts lasted till round two. Like, there was a lot of talk about him going round one in his class. He like late round one, have. yeah. Obviously, obviously, he should have. have. But it was like. I, I just I don't understand some of these teams sometimes. Like, I mean, we, Lamar. Like, if we look at these quarterbacks, right? Like, I think it's fair to say that Lamar and Hertz were at the time just should have been drafted higher. Were what? Sorry. Like, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that even at the time of the draft, like Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts just should have been drafted higher. Like, their profiles oh, were yeah. just way better than players who get drafted where they went. Well, same same thing with Lamar Jackson. I remember the New Orleans Saints. Lamar, yeah, I believe sense. traded a extra first round pick to move up to like seventeen or something. And I was like, oh baby, like they're picking yeah. Lamar Jackson to take over for Drew Brees. Totally different quarterbacks, but who cares? They'll build a new offense. Sean Payton can do anything. Coach worship. Right. And I was like, I, I was pumped because I was like, Mike Thomas, this is gonna be great. And then they took a pass rusher i think they took marcus davenport defensive yeah. end of the university of texas san antonio i imagine he's really good he is good yeah oh, that, thank god because they spent two first round picks on him instead of taking lamar jackson fools anyways not as good as lamar jackson that's <laughs> as good as lamar jackson but yeah like jalen hurts he should have been a late first round pick and then and then like it's it's quarterbacks like I, I don't even really fault the steelers for taking kenny pickett even though he's terrible because they needed a quarterback, and it's like, well, you might as well take a shot on a quarterback, I guess. I probably wouldn't. Like, my strategy would not be take Kenny Pickett, but I could – if you were going to make a wrong move with a quarterback, I think drafting one is is the right wrong move to make. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, then, and then these other 20, 20 21, 20, what, what year are we in? All these other quarterbacks fall to, like, round three, round five. And I'm like, this is insane. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Malik Willis falling around three. Desmond Ritter falling to round three. Sam How or uh, Matt Carroll. Carroll? Carroll? Corral. Carroll. Corral. Golden Corral. Golden Corral falling to round three. My guy, Sam Howell, falling to round five, was it? It was round five. This is insane. Like, take a shot on these guys in round two, you idiots. Like, even if they suck, it's only a second round pick. Who cares? Move on. I can appreciate not taking them in round one because you're you're still taking really high quality players and you're still getting some pretty good players around two. But they're quarterbacks and quarterbacks are everything. And if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. We've talked about yep. this on two consecutive shows. I'm going to stop now. But what I want to know, we just talked about Desmond Ritter very, very briefly. Earlier in the offseason, I had said Marcus Mariota is a pretty good quarterback and he is potentially not going to get benched for a third year third round terrible quarterback like Desmond Ritter you said and I quote this is this is not a real quote something about how Desmond Ritter is going to play anyways which was completely false because Marcus Mariota is so good now we have seen Mariota be very very good 
for three consecutive weeks. Uh, very, seems, very good. Seems like very, 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 very news. good. This is fake news. This is fake news. For He's been completely news. normal. He's fine. He's Marcus Mario. He's fine. That's what Marcus Mario does. Is Desmond Ritter going to start? That's what I want to know. That's all I want to know from here yeah, on out. When is Marcus Mariota going to be placed firmly on the bench? And when is Desmond Ritter going to be inserted into the lineup to be annihilated by NFL defenses? Yeah, probably around midseason. Uh, I mean, entirely. Still. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, I mean, oh Marcus Mariota has done exactly what I thought he'd be. I thought that he would be okay, right? Not not incredible. Not like the stone worst quarterback in the league. The issue is that the Falcons suck. Like, congrats. They barely beat the Seahawks. That's not really an accomplishment, but good good for them. The Seahawks um, beat the Broncos. Yeah, which... Super I mean, Bowl contending Broncos. I'm not sure they're... They may not be Super Bowl contenders. It's time to consider that the fact that the Broncos may may not be Super Bowl contenders. It's time to consider this. All right, consider we'll consider it. Uh, yeah, they probably beat the Seahawks. It's not very impressive. Um, Marcus Mariota fumbled a snap, you know, which which would have helped the Seahawks beat them. Uh, so that was a little, a little bad. That was um, the other guy. <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> which guy? Which guy was? Ah, that? the guy who fumbled it. It wasn't Mariota. He would never. Oh, of course not. Uh, Marcus Fred has been mediocre. He, he he played pretty good in this game. Uh, was really efficient in this game. He has a 63 grade PFF passing. Eh. Uh, ultimately, I don't think it matters much what Mariota does. Like I think that the only way in which he's able to keep the job is either the Falcons and probably win a bunch of games, which is just probably not going to happen because they're not very good, especially on defense. They're not very good. Or Mariota plays so incredibly well that it's just abundantly clear that it's not his fault that they're losing these games. And I don't think that that's a bar that he's cleared. I don't think that he's a reason that they are losing the games, but I don't think that he's winning them games either, or that it's, it's you know, he did everything possible to prevent them from, from losing, but the defense just collapsed. I think he's been fine. And ultimately, this team is probably still going to be like two and six come midseason. And in that case... Like, it just doesn't really matter if Marcus Mariota is better than Desmond Ritter. He probably is at this point in time. But He's considerably better. We know Sorry? This. He's considerably better. M- maybe. I don't know. We haven't seen Desmond Ritter play. Oh, we saw him we don't need to. We saw him play in college. He was awful. He you called his own. You, you didn't he call his own. Bearcats in college? Did I? Of course. I'm glued to, I am glued to the TV on Saturdays. It's all I do. <laughs> Never leave. I don't even take bathroom breaks. <laughs> Hardcore. Have you considered just bringing the laptop into the bathroom or just getting like no, a projector I, in the bathroom? So you can watch I, that <laughs> probably, you, you, know, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have done that. But uh, I, I'm like glued to the TV. I got my notepad out. I'm jotting notes. Uh, you know, Desmond Ritter, I think he just called uh, protection shift at the line. Great, great call, Desmond. Then he like threw it to absolutely no one. I think it hit the mascot. Uh, you know, like that's the kind of thing I take notes there. Yeah. So I think that Ritter, it's just again, like organization should not be as certain as you are. Frankly, there probably are. They drafted Desmond Ritter, so they have to like him at least a little bit. Uh, and it's just very clear what they should do, which is by midseason, they should be, oh, yeah, we're really bad. And so we're going to pick really early and we should find out if we're going to draft a quarterback. And before we decide on which quarterback we're going to draft, we should probably just see if this third round pick guy can play uh, because that's just the smart thing for any organization to do. And it's not Marcus Mariota's fault. It's just the way of the world. 
And that's just what's going to happen. It's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. fault. I mean, it's we kind don't of his to, fault. Because you don't have to blame anyone. Football, then you wouldn't have to be a bridge quarterback on the worst team in the league. He would be yeah. a starting quarterback for a good team. But sure. that's not the case. Yeah, I like, sure, it's nobody's fault. What is somebody's fault? There is there is fault to blame here. And this is nothing about Marcus Mario. I'm moving on. We all know Marcus Mariota Kyle is Pitts is back, by the way. Kyle Pitts is back. That's that's the thing to be happy about in this game. Yeah, like honestly, the Falcons are going to be so good. Like, bless you, Atlanta. For their next bless. quarterback, they're going to be really good. Yeah. For the next quarterback, they're going to be so good. Yeah. And Marcus Mario is going to lead them there until then. <laughs> Anyways, where I'm trying to go with this is obviously Khalil Herbert somehow sabotaged David Montgomery, and David Montgomery did something bad to his body, and now he's hurt. And then Khalil Herbert just played like he was Saquon Barkley, the best running back in football. Because Khalil Herbert's the best running back in football. Yeah. And what I'd like to know is exactly what are we expecting from Khalil Herbert from a production standpoint in David Montgomery's absence? Well, first of all, apparently David Montgomery's injury was better than they originally thought. The first reports were coming out with four to six weeks and not to wish any harm on David Montgomery, but I wasn't all that upset about that report. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, then the, the next the next report's coming out, we're listing him as day-to-day. If I, if I had to guess the fact that he was given knee and ankle injuries, I'm going to guess that he doesn't play this week, but maybe he will. Um, if he does miss this week, he's probably not missing more than one to two weeks. So uh, David Montgomery will be back in the lineup rather shortly. All that being said, I want to talk about Khalil Herbert because there was a time this year, kind of before he became a little bit more trendy, but like early, I think in January or February, where I had labeled him as my number one low cost buy at the running back position. Last year, he showed a lot. He, he had a stretch uh, where he got to play for David Montgomery while he was injured on a really, really bad Bears team. And he played really strongly. He was number 15 in juke rate. And he had the sixth highest PFF rushing grade, uh, 15th highest overall grade among running backs. What I think you're looking with is Herbert is he's not the most well-rounded player. He's like a 5% target share player, um, has never really done a lot at the receiving level in the NFL. Really strong rusher, though. Really strong in the advanced rushing metrics. And especially in this rushing scheme, he just has... He's just a much better fit for it, frankly, with David Montgomery. Like, David Montgomery, bless his heart, but that guy is a total plotter. Um, and in, like, a gap scheme, it can make it work because a lot of it's depending on him to break tackles in between the tackles. But in this scheme, like, a lot of it is, can you get outside? Can you put your foot in the ground? And can you cut up? I mean, there was that toss sweep play that Herbert broke, and I linked a video to it in my article that will come out tomorrow, uh, where he gets moving laterally. He sees that the cutback lane is blocked perfectly, which is where the play's supposed to go, puts his foot in the ground, cuts up field, he's gone. And he ends up picking, I think, up 40 or 50 yards on that run. Like, David Montgomery's just not capable of making that play. He, I'm sure he would see the same hole. He's never been a, a player that leaves a lot of yards on the field necessarily, but he's just getting tackled, like, way sooner because he just doesn't have the burst to be able to capture that much yardage that quickly, which you need in this scheme. So I think... To answer your actual question, which is what to expect while Monty's hurt, if Montgomery misses this game, I would view Khalil Herbert kind of similarly to like Rashad Penny when Walker was out in the sense that he's a plus efficiency running back 
not going to contribute a ton in the passing game. He's not going to lose any carries to anybody. Um, he's probably going to lose some third down snaps to Tristan Ebner, who's more of a receiving profile. They're round uh, seven rookie out of Baylor. But also you have the Bears, which are a bad team, but they're a super, super run first team. I would normally say that they'd get game scripted out of the run game, but after what we talked about last episode, I don't even think that's true because they just don't like care. Like <laughs> they'll just keep running the ball down 17 in the fourth quarter. So I don't think the game script applies to them. I will say this is really interesting. Um, I always love to see elements of meritocracy from coaches. Uh, when Montgomery went down in the first half after Montgomery went down, Herbert had 15 snaps. Tristan Ebner had 13. Uh, in that time period, Herbert made a couple of really nice runs, of course, en route to his final line at 157 and two. The second half, after he had showed this, they clearly figured out and got with the program. Herbert outsnaps Ebner 22 to two in the second half. So it was clearly a scenario where they kind of tried both these guys out. Herbert outplays him. Herbert ends up getting all the snaps in the second half and, and is ultimately pretty responsible for their win. So like Khalil Herbert, by all means, you know, anytime we're talking about a backup running back, especially one without a full three down profile, uh, if you can like sell them for potentially an early 23-2 or 24-2 off his performance, like you got to do that. But uh, I do think that the nice thing is he's not just a fill-in because he had this opportunity to show what he can do. I think he can play into a larger standalone role when Montgomery comes back. I think it's possible he could take this job. Montgomery's not under contract for 2023. So the odds that Herbert can sort of play into this role with this new staff, potentially seize role in 2023. It's all there out on the table. Are you ex as excited as I am? Well, I want you to get excited about a shitty running back for once in your life. Can you get excited about this guy? He's efficient. He's good at football. Come on, man. Get excited about Khalil Herbert. I'm about as excited about Khalil Herbert as I would be, say, Rashad Penny, which is to say not excited. I would just, I would like to point out that you're like, oh, you can maybe trade him for like a second round pick. He's already worth a second round pick. This is what I don't get about rostering these like contingent upside running backs that are already valuable like the chances you can sell this guy for a first round pick are basically nil so we're just asking him to score points and he doesn't even catch passes so it's like well now he's got to be rashad penny level efficient in a bad offense it's just like there's in dynasty that just doesn't make any sense to me but uh yeah what i would be interested in doing right now in dynasty is going and seeing if what was the other guy's name? Tristan Ebnar? Tristan Ebnar? Is he on Tristan waivers in Dynasty? Because I bet he's in on waivers in a few uh, leagues. He's on waivers in a few leagues. I know that because I have him in 35% of my leagues, and I certainly didn't draft him. So <laughs> that's, those were all off waivers. See, like, like this is this is where like in Dynasty and, and even in redraft, honestly, like go go pick up Tristan Ebner if you got nothing on your bench that or if you got somebody on your bench you don't want, because he is now the next man up we're getting the same khalil herbert upside basically the contingent upside of hoping the guy in front of him gets hurt but for absolutely free in dynasty and absolutely free in redraft and what's interesting about tristan ebner is that he is quite large he's 511 209 he is like an actual prototype uh, running back and he has a 10.4 percent 80th percentile car college target share he runs a 443 92nd percentile speed or uh 40 yard dash and he was able to put that all together to you know the the culmination of all these gifts the size speed specimen with the pass catching chops was able to somehow put together a 13.1 percent college dominator 
which is basically nothing. He did not exist. And even more impressive is with all these gifts, size and speed in the college football game, where did he even play? Baylor. So like, yeah. Well, he played with Abram Smith, who is a, a pretty decent college back. He ended up being a UDFA that was released by the Saints this summer. So not a great look. <laughs> Nonetheless, Tristan Ebner was somehow able to put up 3.8 yards per carry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I <laughs> how does that even happen? Okay, that doesn't happen in college football. Tristan Ebner is like almost certainly a bad rusher, just based on the fact that he never saw. Let's see here. This um, is. This is like worse than Trace Sermon's profile. Never saw even 70 rush attempts until his fifth year senior season, where he saw 149. He was really efficient that season, went 149 for 801. Um, But what's much more interesting about him is his target share. So ever since second year at Baylor, he never saw below a 7% target share. He got up to 9.7 in his fourth year, 10.4% in his fifth year. So I think like what we're looking at with Ebner is is pretty clear. He's he's a He's a receiving back, right? Like we're probably looking at best, like if he hits, it's probably like a Naheem Hines type of profile, uh, which is, you know, not super interesting. The nice thing is that he's 209 pounds, which is something. Say, but he's a prototype size. Like if things click, he could be more. Yeah. He's like, it's just Matt, Matt he, Kelly has a name for this. He calls him like satellite back plus or something. Right. I which think, I, I love fair. a satellite. Yeah. Um, I love a satellite back plus. The issue is like, I usually want to look for some level of efficiency, right? Like it's at least shows that you like demonstrate the ability to rush the football. When we see a guy like this, like there's just nothing in his profile that demonstrates that he's a really good rusher. Like, again, I have him in 35% of my dynasty league. So it's not like I have no interest. I obviously have like quite a lot of interest in Tristan Ebner and I would definitely pick him up in every dynasty league. That being said, like to me, the odds that this guy's just a better rusher than Khalil Herbert seem quite low but i don't that uh but you know anything is possible it's more so just the like contingent upside like now he is one one player away from walking into a potential three down roll and he may be super inefficient he may also be great we have no idea because he's never played in the nfl and he's probably not good though because he didn't really do anything in college so yeah anyways i can't even think i'm trying to I would say I would say he's like kind of like Kenny Wangu esque, except I guess he also he did catch passes. Kenny never really yeah. did, but uh, I'm I'm yeah. just trying to think of any running back that has that low of a yards per carry in college. Like Le'Veon Bell is like the worst one I can think of. He's got four point oh, seven. Uh, he's Isaiah going Pacheco. one point two yards. <laughs> what was his? Uh, I'm gonna look him up here. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco is like woefully inefficient in college. He had, um, let's see, this most recent year. 4.1 yards per carry. You win. That's that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, but his senior season was like even worse than that. His senior season, he was at, uh, oh boy. <laughs> I'm doing hand math here. This is, this is, this is a little sketchy. 3.87 as a senior. That's not Ooh. what you want to see. No. The other thing that you don't want to see. Apparently his O-line was bad. Yeah, probably. The other thing you definitely don't want to see is what's happening in the New England backfield. If you were a touchdown chasing Damian Harris truther, uh, well, uh, which I was not, and I don't believe you were either, because no, I'm a, I'm a big Stevenson fan. I've of course, heard somewhere along the way that you've spoken highly of Ramondre Stevenson. Oh, is this true? Glowingly, glowingly. Yeah. Wow. Here, so what happened glowingly. this week? 
I heard I heard it was a good week. You didn't see it because you were surfing. I watched it because I was, of course, glued to my television with my notepad and uh, not taking bathroom breaks, of course. Yeah. So you tell me what happened because I, I know what happened because I watched it. Live. Well, Roderick Stevenson had over 20 points uh, this week. That's pretty good, right? We like points. Usually, yeah. Yeah, but like, was that because Damian Harris j- just got hurt because he's terrible, no. or like, here's, what happened? Here's here? the crazy thing: is that so coming into the year, we were hoping Armandre would play this like third down role, right, in this long down distance role, two minute role, and then the first week he totally didn't. It was Ty Montgomery, and then Ty Montgomery got put on IR, and I I said the following about Ramondre Stevenson after Ty Montgomery was put on injured reserve. Occasionally, the first path we seek does not lead us where we wish to go. But fortunately, life's knack for deferring the clearest path does not always preclude it from finding a way. Often, we attempt to decipher the game as though it were a pre-crafted plot with discoverable endings hinted at from the first chapter. But in fact, the game is much more fluid. A coach's first inclinations is not always the lasting one, just as our first is not always the correct one. Stevenson's week one signal was negative, but I remain optimistic he is well suited to take advantage of the newfound opportunity he's presented with. Uh, and Stevenson, he did it, man. He did the thing. He he <laughs> backed up my poetry. Here's the crazy thing: is so he came out in week two, and he got the role that we all wanted, and nobody cared because he didn't score any fantasy points, right? Like so, in week two, he played 45 snaps to Damian Harris's 27, and he ran 25 routes to Harris's 10. So basically he took over the entire Tom Montgomery role. And then everybody was like, oh my God, Stevenson, he sucks because he only earned like two targets uh, on those 25 routes. And then what I wrote in my column the next week was, well, one of two things is true. Like either, either it's definitely possible that Stevenson like either just has sucked all along and it was all small sample variants, whatever else, that's totally possible. Or like maybe he had a really bad game and the coaches were like, oh, well, we tried him in that role and he didn't do anything. So we're going to give it to Harris now or Pierre Strong or whoever else. I was like, or he's just always been a player that earns targets on 20% of his routes out of the backfield and he's generally efficient on his routes. And if he keeps getting 20 plus routes, he's probably going to have more than two targets next week. Um, and then that's what happened. He had the exact same roles last week. So he outsnapped Harris 41 to 25. He had 26 routes to 11. He's now outrouted Harris 51 to 21 over the last two weeks. That's awesome. And this week he was able to get four targets on those routes, he turned them into 32 receiving yards. He also was extremely efficient rushing the ball because he's awesome because he's always efficient rushing the ball. Uh, he was able to cash it in for a touchdown. And I think that Harris getting the touchdowns first two weeks is a total fluke because if you look through how they were deployed, basically they were rotating drives as rushers. Harris gets one, Stevenson gets one. Harris gets one, Stevenson gets one. And whoever's drive happens to reach the goal line is the player who gets the goal line touches. And but this week it was Stevenson. May um, I interject? He gets all the passing work. Because what we know about running backs is that they matter. So the good running back would obviously be the one leading his drives into the red zone to score the touchdowns. It's true. Which has obviously been Damian Harris, the superior in every aspect running back. Do I have this correct? Yeah, clearly. Clearly you have that correct. Uh, Damian, (laughs) Damian Harris. Honestly, Damian Harris is a good running back, I think. It's just the issue is that Damian Harris's profile never... Like said that he would ever get past work. He wasn't targeted in college. He wasn't targeted in the pros. Whereas Stevenson, you know, you have to kind of look through rose-colored glasses for his college profile because he missed some games and he shared some backfields, et cetera, et cetera. But second highest yards per route run in his class, only behind Kenneth Gainwell. 
then he comes into the NFL. He had 1.6 yards per route run uh, per player profilers metric, 20% targets per route run. That's a guy who at least looks like a running back who's serviceable in the passing game at, at worst and, and pretty decent at best. And clearly, you know, between him and Harris, like that's the guy that's more likely to get this role. He has the role. I don't know what's going to happen when Tom Montgomery comes back. I don't know when Tom Montgomery is going to come back, but at least for now, like you're probably starting every single week. Yeah, I think, uh, I think like the Damian Harris thing just never made sense to me. Like he, he just doesn't ever catch any passes and that's just really a dumb thing to chase. He, he wants scored. Get this. He once scored 15 touchdowns in 15 games. And do you know what he did with those 15 touchdowns in 15 games? He was able to put together a season in which he finished. He scored 14 fantasy points per game. You get six points for a touchdown. That's outrageous. He scored half his points through literally crossing the goal line. That's all he did. It was running back 18. It was wildly useless. He's basically like... Damian Harris was slightly more useful than a Aaron Jones led backfield for AJ Dillon. Like that's how useless Damian Harris was completely useless. I mean, his, his season was basically the same last year. Honestly, not that dissimilar to like what Jamal Williams has cooking this year where he's just like getting all these touchdowns and nothing else. And that's an interesting backfield because Dondre Swift, apparently Shoulder injury. They might want to keep him out until after the bye. Um, I mean, we're not, we're not going to get worried about Swift here. Of course, just based on missed a couple of weeks. I mean, it's a bummer, but you missed a couple of weeks, whatever happens. It's running back. Uh, Jamal Williams, though, I just want to make a quick point out as the running back depth guy. I'm going to write about him a ton in tomorrow's Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back. So I don't need to go about it a ton here because we're not usually getting super into the nitty gritty of usage. I, I just think that be careful what you wish for a little bit with Jamal Williams. Um, even though he's been only had seven less snaps than Swift the last two weeks, um, he's ran, let me just pull it up here. Um, so that I have the proper, but he's ran way, 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 uh, way less routes. Um, and last year when he actually had the backfield to himself, he had two weeks that Swift did not play. He played 47% snaps in one of them. He played 42% of snaps in the other one. The first one he gave up basically every, passing down situation to Godwin, Igwe, Bigwe. Uh, and then in the second one, he gave it up to a mix of Craig Reynolds and Godwin, Igwe, Bigwe. So I think a lot of people have the Jamal Williams Green Bay in their mind, where when Aaron Jones was out, he played in all situations. Uh, I don't think that that's the way that the Lions view Jamal Williams. I'm not sure why. One thing I would note is that Igwe, Bigwe is no longer with the team. Justin Jackson, who's had a passing down role in the past with the Chargers, uh, he's on their practice squad. So if he gets called up, I would expect him to potentially steal some passing down work uh, from Jamal Williams. So I would certainly like be fine starting Jamal Williams. But I think if anyone is really excited about how great his start was, and now it's like, oh my God, without Swift, like he's going to be a full-blown workhorse. Um, if you can use him to, to trade for maybe a more, I don't know, a similar type of bet with a little bit higher upside, but whose running back is maybe not injured right now, I, I would be pretty in. Yeah, he's only ran 16 routes the last two weeks. Swift's ran 44. It's been it's been rough going. <laughs> Scoring touchdowns, though. Scoring just a like million fantasy Harris. points, though. So good for him. Good yeah. for best ball teams. Great for Jamal Williams. Great for best ball teams. I completely agree. So 
Yeah, like I don't know. Justin Jackson, he once played for the Chargers, right? Did he have a higher or lower target share than Michael Williams with the Chargers? Do you know? Off the top of your head? I got to imagine it was higher because Michael Williams has one of the lowest target shares we've ever seen from a player that has ever had dynasty value for like six consecutive years. Yeah, Mike Williams is just a dude, man. He's just a guy. Um, like Mike Williams, he's, you know, he's one of the outer valences of the Devontae Parker, Marvin Jones, Vortex. Um, he happens to play with a better quarterback and he happened to run a little hot on target variants last year, which is cool. Um, I think he'll probably still have really good weeks. I mean, he just had a really good week last week in week two, and he'll probably have some other weeks like week two, but yeah, he's a high variance wide receiver three. He's, he's probably gonna have a few more weeks like week one and three though. Oh, it's almost certainly. <laughs> That's kind of been his whole career actually. That was, that was my whole point. His weeks one and three look a lot like what I would expect from a Justin Jackson playing running back for the San Diego slash LA Chargers. I don't know if Jackson actually played when they were in San Diego. I think he did. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. He's been around for a while. He has been. Anyways, like Mike Williams, we are now, what, three weeks in, and Keenan Allen's played eight snaps for the year, I think, somewhere thereabouts. So yeah, that leaves four, I think Mike, he has four targets on eight routes, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so that leaves Mike Williams competing with literally no one and putting up, I believe I just checked the new uh, 33rd team stat package here, and I think he had somewhere in the neighborhood of 17.6 tar- uh, target share, 17.6%, which is like that's totally mediocre. That's barely even better than Gabriel Davis, and Gabriel Davis is awful. So if you're only going to have a 17.6 target share, I'm just really not that interested in you. And what's really interesting about that for Mike Williams is that he's had a 17.6 target share for like all of his years, except for his first one when he basically didn't get, he wasn't allowed to play football because they didn't think he was very good. And he was also a little bit injured, but then they were like, you're actually just also terrible. So even when you're healthy, you don't get to come on the field. They sky him for the whole year. Like it was wild. That's the seventh overall pick. The seventh overall pick. They sky him for the whole year. And, he and then he was, put was up, a senior declare. He was like 23. Yeah. Well, he broke his neck in, in his uh, junior year. So like it was, it was okay that he well, came that's, out. That's fine. Right but I'm just saying, usually it's like even less of an excuse he to sh- not play. Should have been ready though. He was experienced, you know, he should have been ready to rock. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like he has been. Somewhere between 15 and 18% target share, I believe, four exactly. of the five years, uh, with the lone exception being last year when he kind of blew up. And now we are three weeks into this season, and he's at 17.6%. And I'm just thinking he maybe isn't quite as good as his dynasty price may have suggested at one point. There were people putting him up at wide receiver 15 last year, and I was dumb. absolutely flipping tables. Like, I've never yeah. physically flipped a table, but I had many f- tables flipped in my mind i was like meditating flipping tables which i, I don't think some, is really the point of meditation i have some williams and it annoys me because i'm just such a total like anyone who has like redraft value that's substantially higher than their dynasty value in a way that doesn't make isn't like entirely explainable by age i'm just like always going to have a little bit of those bets because i just can't help myself from but, finding but like, ways we, to play dynasty that have nothing to do with caring about players 
but we but it, like it does pain me when I like look at my roster and I see Mike Williams there. I'm like, why, why is this guy here on my roster? I don't just wait till guy. you have Gabriel Davis there for another three years until you drop him. I, I like, feel great about it's Gabriel the Davis. Same thing. It's the same yeah, thing. It is literally the same thing. Yes. Gabriel Davis is I this is the funniest part about this is that in the Discord, like for most of the summer, Drew would be like, Oh, Gabriel Davis sucks. And I'd be like, he really doesn't suck. He's like basically just Mike Williams. And then other people would be like, no, Mike Williams is better. And then Drew would be like, no, they are the same. It's just that they both suck. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly it. You're like, yeah, he's Mike Williams. He's okay. I'm like, no, 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 no. Gabriel Davis sucks and Mike Williams sucks. And together they both suck. So we are in agreement. They are the same guy. I just happen to think that they both suck and you think they're both okay. And then a lot of the masses are like, no, no, Mike Williams is better than Gabriel Davis. And that doesn't make any sense because they're just simply the same guy. So, anyways, well, we're not, we're not just, big on Mike. We're not big on Big Mike. We're we're small on Big Mike. <laughs> to, Let's talk about one other. Well, hold on, hold on, because I just want to point out though that watching Mike Williams play football is entertaining as hell. Oh, like, yeah. like watching if Daniel if, Jones play football is entertaining as hell. He's certainly not good. It's true, but like Mike Williams, he does make these circus catches, and and honestly, they shouldn't be circus catches though. That's the thing that really I find hilarious. It's like this normally thrown ball and then he just does something really weird and like falls from eight feet when he can only jump like one foot, but he's six, four. So it's a lot. And it's like, he climbed a ladder that didn't, wasn't there except he didn't climb it. Cause he only went on the first, the first notch. And then he like falls completely on his back. Like he's, I don't know, like back flipping off the top it's ropes in WWE and like hurts himself and it's like you could have just stood there you didn't have to do any of that like in week one i I don't think this episode aired because i remember ranting about this in i believe it was week one and mike williams made a really nice catch except it should not have been a really nice catch at all the pass was coming and he literally turned to the defender was all over him like he did not have a step of space he turned towards the defender to catch the ball he, he, he's 6'4 and like 225. He could have turned away from the defender and boxed the defender out and caught the ball uncontested. He's like, no, no, no. Like, let's play in hard mode. I'll go towards him. He'll come towards me. I'll make a miraculous catch. The film gurus will fall in love and my dynasty stock will remain where it is incredibly far too high. It's, it's like he's got this scheme going that he just doesn't want his dynasty stock to fall and it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I'm sorry. I had to rant about that. I want to talk about a good player next. There's a really good player that we have never spoken of at, at, in any of the lost episodes. By the way, we have lost episodes. How cool is that? Do you remember the lost episodes from uh, Dave Chappelle? I don't. Oh, my God. You're so young. There was lost episodes. For, for all the dads in the room, all the dads listening in right now, just like you're with me. You watched the lost episodes of the Dave Chappelle, of the Chappelle show, and we have lost episodes, and someday they may air. And in which case you will hear me rant in real time about Mike Williams' stupid catch that was awesome that should have never happened. Anyways, now we're going to talk about good players. We have Kenneth Walker on the docket. We have not talked about him in any of the real episodes. We have not talked about him in any of the lost episodes. And here we are now for the first time ever talking about Kenny Bullets. It's true. On the podcast, Sweating Bullets. Look, I... You're sweating Kenny Bullets. Let's go. I, I am sweating You're Kenny it. Bullets because, I mean, as the people know, I, I don't have much Kenny Bullets. Uh, the, Big mistake. For those that don't know, the origin of the Kenny Bullets nickname, of course, is that <laughs> one day I found out that Kenneth Walker was a bulletproof prospect 
and I like lost my mind because I thought that Drew cared about catching passes uh, and Kenneth Walker didn't catch any of those in college. And I was absolutely stunned to learn that Drew liked Kenneth Walker or had any interest in him whatsoever. And that in fact, he was a bulletproof prospect. And I listed out a bunch of reasons about why I had some concerns about his rushing profile and obviously his receiving profile. And basically I said that there are so many issues with his prospect profile that he's in fact not bulletproof, but he is covered in bullets such that his name should be Kenny Bullets. Uh, and essentially from that argument on, we've I think we've only referred to him as Kenny Bullets. So much so that earlier in the show, Drew forgot what his actual last name was <laughs> and only referred to him as Kenny Bullets. Um, in a shocking turn of events, Kenny Bullets slash Walker is on the show sheet because I brought him up as one of the best Dynasty buys right now. Um, I mean, here's the thing about not having that strong a player takes is that, you know, I'm going to switch on a dime. Give it that I'll give it this. Like one of the reasons why he's a great buy right now is that there's a lot of rookies that are actually doing stuff, right? Drake London doing stuff. Garrett Wilson doing stuff. Chris Olave doing stuff. Romeo dubs, Romeo dubs, someone that, you know, Drew doesn't like so much. Jacob, like quite a lot, doing a lot of stuff, doing a lot of stuff. Um, Anyway, Kenneth Walker is doing nothing. He didn't play in the first game, and he's played 20 snaps in the last two games, and he hasn't come even close to a fantasy-relevant performance. That being said, nine routes, six targets. Um, well, do I think he will remain at 67% targets per run? Obviously not. But like for a guy that we thought you know, probably had very limited pass-catching upside... He's still not playing in passing situations. They're they're using like Travis Homer and DJ Dallas and a bunch of goobers for those snaps. But for the tiniest sample possible, the fact that basically his first introduction into the NFL is being used in passing, um, used in the passing game, that he's getting targeted when he's drawing routes, that he's not just like dropping every ball that comes to him. He did drop one of them. Uh, pretty impressive. So I think that if you can get into Kenneth Walker for probably less than almost certainly less than the 103 cost that he was often going for in drafts. Uh, I'm pretty open-minded to that. Like I, I would be looking at some of the older running backs that are scoring points right now. I mean, I wonder if you could just sell Nick Chubb for young Nick Chubb who actually might cast passes, might catch passes. That's I a trade. I would do. want more than Kenneth Walker for Nick Chubb. You Kenneth Walker and, and some juicy on top. Why? Because people love Nick Chubb because he's the best pure rusher in the NFL. You'd rather have Nick Chubb than Kenneth Walker? I'd rather have Kenneth Walker. No, I would rather have Kenneth Walker. I'm saying I bet you could trade Nick Chubb, get Kenneth Walker, and some juice on top. Well, if you could, that's great. You should do that. You definitely can. Let me just check here. Nick Chubb's KTC value, keep trade cut for those that aren't familiar, is 5302. Kenneth Walker is at 4412. You get a second round pick on top of that. Okay, so that's done. Okay, let's do that trade. Awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. done. So like like I just want to clarify for the listeners because I don't want to be, you know, presented before you as some non-pass catching RB enthusiast. That is not me. That is not what I do. I do prefer running backs to catch passes. I believe I also like Nick Chubb a lot. He was bulletproof in my process and he didn't catch any friggin' passes either. Other than his rookie or his uh, freshman year, I think it was 18. He caught some passes, like 18 or 20 of them. Uh, and then he never caught another pass because Sony Michelle emerged and he, Nick Chubb tore his knee in half and all that stuff. Anyways, Kenneth Walker 
was never like a, oh, he's going to definitely challenge Brees Hall for running back one in this class. That was not a not in conversation at all. It was Brees Hall and then RB2 was Kenneth Walker, but they were like Grand Canyons apart. Not just one, like two Grand Canyons apart. They were very far apart because Nick or Kenneth Walker was probably not going to catch passes. But Kenneth Walker was also possibly going to catch passes and he was being treated like he was definitely not going to catch passes. And if a player is being treated as though it's a 100% outcome of poorness of badness then i'm going to entertain the option that he might just catch passes because it it happens sometimes like yeah he's probably ronald jones in the passing game but he also might not be you never know and when that's not baked into the price like kenneth walker was going considerably later than every other like bulletproof running back that has entered the nfl in several years like he was going way later than all of them and it was because everybody thought he was going to catch passes. I was in the same boat. I didn't think he was going to catch passes. But again, it wasn't priced in. So I was open to the idea that we should just buy him and hope for the best. And what's also interesting about that is that Kenneth Walker didn't need to catch passes in order to just gain a lot of value. Most bulletproof running backs, even the ones that don't catch passes, tend to gain a lot of value after the first year because people are RB thirsty all the time. If you had your draft in August, you probably had players like Damian Pierce and Dalvin Cook's brother going in the first round of your rookie draft. And those are possibly the worst picks you could ever make in the first round of a rookie draft. And then we're going to talk about Kenneth Walker, who's actually probably really good at rushing the ball. He was bound to gain a lot of value because running backs just gain a lot of value if they're even at all remotely attractive. So Kenneth Walker's great. I think... uh, We'll see how it turns out. I like I may not be holding him after this year. I might be flipping all of my copies of him. But uh for now, I'm super interested. Man, you well, know first of all, sorry to the YouTube listeners that um my camera was like extremely blurry for the last 20 minutes and I didn't recognize that until now, but that's unfortunate. Could, could happen to anyone. It's now it's now it's now normal. Now you can once again see all my pores. Um let's open this though. Let's finish this, sorry with another running back that shares Kenneth Walker's backfield because, you know, I took a brave, courageous stance against Rashad Penny this offseason. It was a stance that we shared together, right? We were, we were against this man. And I was generally told that Rashad Penny, first of all, was such an incredibly efficient rusher that he could overcome anything. He did not passes. He did not need his team to be needing to run plays. He would simply manifest RB1 production, your efficiency. And anytime that you ever questioned the reliance projection, you would always just be like, well, look at uh, season. You know, he did it. He did it. What's the ceiling? Well, yeah, but what's the projectable ceiling? You saw it. Yeah, but what? Well, you saw it. He was 22 points a game. You saw it. What else do you need to see? Right. And I would usually respond to things like, well, first of all, that's not going to happen again because it was like outlier level efficiency. And then even if it did, or like even if we say that it's just directionally accurate, that he's a really efficient running back, which I actually believe to be true. I think he's probably a really good rusher. Um, He had Russell Wilson in those games. He no longer has Russell Wilson. To be clear, I'm not sure the Broncos have Russell Wilson either, but the Seahawks certainly (laughs) don't. (laughs) 
they also played a total cake schedule. And like every one of those games that Penny went berserk in, they either won or they were leading for most of the game. The only game in that stretch that they got their doors blown off was against the Rams. And he played under 50% of the snaps and he did nothing. Because that's what happens when you're a rush-only running back on a shitty team that loses. Anyway, this wasn't a concern. He would just manifest it. That's fine. <laughs> then week one happens, and they win. And he had um, 8.7 fantasy points. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, I don't know, variance, right? Oh, and that was after Kenneth Walker was hurt. Right, so he's not mm. even sharing a backfield with anyone. And they won 8.7 fantasy points. Oh, wow. Happens variants oh the next week kenneth walker's first game probably getting eased back in i think he had uh i believe he had nine snaps in the in the contest 1.5 fantasy points oh that's fine you're gonna start him anyways against the niners like i mean that's what i always want i always want to draft guys you know in round six round seven that i can just look at the schedule and just can't even start them don't even consider them for the lineup you know, that's usually what I want out of my picks. That's fine, though. You can't even start him. Then he's home to Atlanta, right? Atlanta tied with Houston for the lowest over-under win total in the NFL coming into this year. At home. This is the week, right? Look, this is why you draft Penny. So that the three times per year that Seattle's favored, you actually get to start him. Right? <laughs> Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? You get to start him. You get to start him. It's Penny season. He had 7.9 points. He worked in a three-way time. Four Seattle running backs actually touched the field in this one. Travis Homer got hurt. So DJ Dallas naturally came in for third downs. And Kenneth Walker got more targets than him and more receptions than him. I mean, what a disaster pick. Like, Kenneth Walker's only going to get more involved. He's certainly not going to get less involved. Um, They have now used three different backs that aren't Rashad Penny on a third and long. Uh, This season, Kenneth Walker got his first run on a third and 15 this week. Travis Homer was that back. DJ Dallas is now the primary long down and distance back. The Seattle Seahawks run less plays than everybody. They don't win any games. Uh, Rashad Penny doesn't catch passes. Just one of the stone worst process picks uh, I can recall in recent memory. And it's not like it was impossible for him to pay off. Like I definitely think there was a world where he could have paid off his his price. Unlikely, but possible. The issue was like in what world is Rashad Penny ever a league winner? Because his best case scenario would have been like last year's Damian Harris season. But the odds that you ever score 15 touchdowns are low because I'm not sure the Seattle Seahawks will score 15 touchdowns as the team. So that's <laughs> that's my take on Penny. Penny, for your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, anytime that you can take the under on a player who has had 5.4, 8.4, 1.1, and 12.2 fantasy points per game in all of his seasons, that's all. I did not cherry pick any seasons. That is 100% of his seasons. You can fade that player. It's a pretty easy choice. I don't really care that he was injured. I don't really care that he was a backup to Chris Carson. Like he didn't produce fantasy points ever until this like five game magical stretch. And I'm like, do you understand how often we have seen a five game magical stretch from a running back? We see it all the time. Some of those guys aren't even in the league the next year. Like it is so frequent. Justin Jackson was the RB one overall in the fantasy semifinals that he's on a practice squad right now. Like, it's just crazy that people would overrule this entire career. And like, don't get me wrong. I liked Rashad Penny as a prospect. There was like, I, I thought he was a pretty good prospect. And then I liked his rookie year. I thought he had a pretty good rookie year. Like it wasn't great by any stretch, 
but he was like he he scored really well in a lot of the efficiency metrics I look at. And I was like, hey, like it's got a shot. Let's do this. And then it just never materialized. And it was like, oh, he was just taking over in I think it was his second year. Yeah. He was just taking over. Chris Carson had fumbled the week before. I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, he got he got he outtouched Carson by know, three touches or something, and then he got hurt himself. It's like maybe, maybe he just happened to get the series that went a little longer because the running backs drive the bus on the series and the good ones prolong series into the into the uh, end zone. So obviously that's what happened. Anyway, like it's just 5.4, is the freaking profile you're fading for a 26-year-old running back. It's not hard. And then, like you said, he doesn't even play on a good team. And he also doesn't catch passes. If you don't play on a good team, you probably want to catch passes. If we're talking about game scripts, we're looking at like DFS. Are we not looking at game scripts when we're trying to project individual games? Like I would probably want to play a player that catches passes in a game that we are probably not going to win. And I would probably want to play a player that doesn't catch passes in a game in which my team is probably projected to win by a lot of scores. And the Seattle Seahawks are starting Geno Smith. They're not projected to win games. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Even though Geno Smith's been great this year. Geno Smith has been far better than I could have ever imagined. And still, Rashad Penny is doing absolutely nothing. Like, there's no world where this pick made sense. There's none of them. And the other argument that I heard all offseason was, well, he's a late pick. Like, it doesn't matter. It's okay if he busts. I'm like, well, just pick somebody who isn't definitely going to bust. And even if he does hit, pick somebody who matters if he hits. Why are you drafting for a player that could have a Damian Harris season that didn't help you win anyway? I was just saying, why don't we just take the rookie wide receivers? Like, Like, any of them. Pick one. Any of them. London, Wilson, Olave, Sky Moore, any of them. I was gonna say, I would rather have Sky Moore on my redraft team right now. Well, for sure. Easily. Oh, I mean, if, so if I have Rashad Penny in redraft right now, I'm literally dropping him because what's <laughs> like? No, I don't. I don't. I don't mean that to, like as a joke. Like I actually would drop him. You because shouldn't drop him. You can't start can... him. Like if you can't start him at home against the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> when Kenneth Walker's only played one career game at that point, when are you ever starting him? Right. Like that's that's the dream scenario you're never going to get a better scenario and he didn't come close to paying off so it, it's over for Rashad Penny there's nothing that can happen like what would happen Kenneth Walker gets hurt again I mean I guess but Kenneth Walker's barely even played so it's not like that's really hampered Rashad Penny to this point but here's what like, here's the thing if so Kenneth Walker gets over. hurt and then uh the other guy DJ Homer, who's already hurt and then DJ and Dallas Homer. also gets like, hurt if if the entire running back room gets hurt i think there's a chance that we see Rashad Penny in a three down role that's the scenario i'm not even sure that's going to happen they'll probably pick up like Justin Jackson off a practice squad and Rashad Penny will still not catch passes like yeah there's just no out here where you get anything resembling something that you would want to have in your starting lineup yeah. at any point like that's the thing with Scott. It's just not that hard for me to imagine being like excited to start Sky more in week 14. I, I, yeah. I don't know, but it's like, okay, Juju Smith-Schuster gets hurt and then cool. Sky gets He's some snaps. And then it turns out that the player that we already thought was good is good. And then we're starting him every single week. Like that's not insane to imagine. Um, no. But like it's 
really hard to imagine Rashad Penny doing anything more than like occasionally getting the Damian Pierce week that we just got this week, right? Where it's like, okay, they finally faced a really bad team and he gets a bunch of carries and no targets. And then he falls into the end zone this week. So he turns a nine point week into a 15 point week. It's like, okay, that can happen. Rashad and Penny scored all those weeks. 14 points and nobody cares. <laughs> right. And so that's going to happen. Rashad Penny will probably find the end zone. You know what? Maybe one week he'll even score twice and then he'll have 20 points and then people will be really excited. That's you know it. It was actually really funny a few weeks ago. There was a there was a player that scored a touchdown in week one. He had like eighty yards and like five catches and a touchdown. And people were like, "That's why we drafted him in round four for his ceiling." I mean, he scored eighteen points. Stephon Diggs is going to average eighteen points. That's not a ceiling. Like that. That's like no. That's not a ceiling play. That that is absolutely not a ceiling play. Eighteen points. Get out of here. That's not why you drafted him. You drafted him to score 28 fantasy points in a game, not 18. This is just ridiculous. Anyway, that's how I feel about Rashad Penny. Like, even if you, even if everything connects, you still don't win. You still don't get to win. And that's just really depressing. And I feel really bad for anyone who drafted Rashad Penny. And I feel really bad for anybody who held him in Dynasty. And, like, shame on Rashad Penny for, like, giving people hope after five years. That's like, what an asshole. That was really un like unnecessary, Rashad Penny. We all knew that it was never going to happen, and then you just teased people. It's mean. That's Anyways, that is a wrap. This is sweating bullets. I am, of course, the Bean Counter. As always, J- Jacob Sanderson is with me, and we are going to go out on Rashad Penny being really bad at football for his entire career. As our he's good at football, just useless at fantasy football. He's maybe good at rushing the football, which is the most replaceable skill in all He's of football. I signed this out. You can just laugh about it. You don't have to argue about Rashad Penny being good. Well, He's not good. We all know that. Because I just want to be fair. It's not fair. You're you teasing people by telling them he's good now. You're you're gonna convince people to draft Gabriel Davis because he's good at football, even though well, he's not. I don't think Gabriel Davis points. is very good at football. I just think you should draft him anyway. 